So I'll respond to some questions that have been placed. So first of all is um, some of the questions around sense restraint and uh, bringing up a sense of diligence and urgency in daily life to our related so one person says well one person says I'm motivated to practice when there's suffering when life is fine and I slack and indulge in sense pleasures please advise So you just have to go through that process of uh, recognizing suffering and then somehow you feel that this uh, slackening off is a problem. Um, you know, so if you think it's a problem, it's a problem. <laughs> Why is it a problem? <laughs> Maybe it's good. <laughs> Something doesn't feel quite right. You go out of tune. You know, it's like uh, that image of the um, string of the lute, the lute, which is a stringed instrument. It's uh, too tight. Don't get the right sound too loose, you don't get the right sound. Sometimes you just realize you're just, you're just too slack. It doesn't feel right, you don't feel clean or clear or tuned in or something in your nose, you know, um, wasting time. Mm. Mm. So always, uh, as I mentioned before, the sense of mortality is something to consider. You know, when you look around, you walk down a street, you walk down a street with people or you drive your car with people, realize somebody in that is going to be die today. Almost certainly. When you go down through a city, you recognize you've probably passed by somebody and it's their last day. Yeah. Oh, so that's quite likely. And you're one of those. <laughs> Look at a movie, you realize all oh, that movie's 10 years old, uh, the actor is dead now. You know, realize the dead are many, the dead are many, the dying are many. Um, okay, so when we consider this, what does it make life seem futile? We're running around doing this, that, and the other. Where does it go? Yeah. My father left school when he was 14. It's quite a poor family. The school was quite basic. And they had to go out to work when he was 14 years old. They just didn't, didn't need to get some support. 
whole family, you know, so my father, his father, and so forth. Been working since he was 14, worked through his life. At 68, worked through his life. And the idea, you know, you, you only got enough money, you can retire and be okay. <laughs> At 68 years old, the doctor said his father's birthday was um, four days after my mother's birthday. So my brother, so the doctor said, I think you better go for a checkup. Health and good. I want to be around for my, my wife's birthday. I don't want to be in hospital. My wife's birthday coming up. I want to be there for her. The doctor said, If you're there for her birthday, you won't be there for your own. <laughs> I said, Oh, well, I don't want to be his wife. Sure enough, day after her birthday, goes up, doesn't feel so good, goes upstairs, bang. <laughs> take him downstairs, call the ambulance in, take him downstairs. She sees him going out the door, that's her birthday. And then three days later, they just unplug all the tubes, he's finished. In 68 years, he retired. <laughs> Finally retired. But it wasn't quite the happy retirement he was expecting. Yeah. And uh, so you can have these plans and ideas, what you're going to do, what it's going to be. And you got you know, there could be a surprise coming for you. Yeah. So we recollect this, and so someone's given a bit of advance warning, you know, don't feel so good, oh, okay, this is not so, oh, it's a tumor here. Mm. It's been five years or so working against it, and taking chemotherapy and trying to stop it happening. Maybe for the last five years, and say, well, you know, there's only a few months left and then you die. So you give a bit of advance warning, it's coming. Some people don't get any warning. Sometimes it's just driving down the street, crash, car comes across, lights, dead. So it can happen any time. Uh, this is not sort of like, you know, some of it is rather abrupt. But all of it's absolutely normal. <laughs> you know, it's just something's going to get you. That's guaranteed. And it won't be when you've finished everything you needed to do, <laughs> when things are tidy. It'll be when, you know, it doesn't end. You don't get a chance to just tidy everything up. It just suddenly comes and takes you. So you should think every day. If today is the last day, what have you gained? What have you learned in this life? This life is a, is a gift. It's not permanent. What you get? What you learn? What have you done with it? You know, so you're ready to die. Death is coming. You've got a minute or two. Okay, let's go into that. Surrender. No. Nothing chases you, no real will, no regret chases you, no doubt chases you, mind is steady. No, of course, you know, it's not that 
benefit not just in the death moment, but also in your, in your daily life. You know, taking these times, spending 10 minutes to stop. Stop. Just stop. Don't meditate. Just stop doing things. 10 minutes, 5 minutes. Stop. Okay, what's happening? Uneven thoughts, restless feelings, worry, feeling of not happy, uncomfortable, I do something. Instead of five minutes before you get restless or something. So if you can't sit still in five minutes with your own body and mind, what do you think about that? I'll sit still for 10 minutes in a chair, not even in a lotus position, without daydreaming, wandering, fantasizing, just feeling contented and steady. What about that? What's that showing you? Your mind is like a jungle, untidy. And, uh, you know, then just realize that's conditioned. And the whole purpose is to get out of the jungle and clean, clear. It's possible. It's definitely possible. And when we have the Buddha, he reminds us, so you know, you can do it in his life, you can get out. And it's something very quickly. At least getting a breakthrough. To where you're contented in your own presence without needing to be stimulated, planning anything, worrying about something, comparing yourself, feeling bad about yourself. So it's remember uh, every day, time and again. Worse, I'm getting better. Now that you go into that. Create more problems or you can create less? We wonder. You're either going to leave things more untidy and get bad habits or you can clear up. What do you want to do? And this isn't saying you know, you're going to be a saint on day one, but just to start tidying up. Because in the present, it's just not comfortable to live with a mind that's untrained. It's just not comfortable. It doesn't have to be that way. And restrain you, hold it back, and then send it forth. Say it's not just about starving, it's about feeding on good food. Send it forth, send it into recollecting people you know with a sense of gratitude, affection, compassion. Send it forth somewhere useful. Concern yourself with that because it's not just for other people's welfare, but you abide in the mind of any degree of goodwill towards another being is just even a dog. At that moment, your mind enters the domain of goodwill. That's a nice place to be.
much better place to be. And so you, the shift in the senses, which are going out, to the chitta, which takes, brings you back into where the best food is, where the true treasures are. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you shake yourself up, but to keep you going, you've probably got to make wise companions who model it, who monitor it, you know, and give you opportunities to develop it. <clears throat> so, if someone's asking about the sense restraint, how do you cultivate that? Well, just mention a few things. But even when you've got the idea and you realize it's important, so this is addicted. Because they are addictive. Yeah. But they're also, um, it's, it's rather illusory. Because we, you see something in the eye, it looks really nice. But your eye, your eye cannot take it in, you can only, can only see a shape or an appearance. You look at some food, it looks nice, but your eye doesn't eat anything. You can't stuff food in your eyes. So, so and look, actually, when you look at something, it's not as if, you know, your stomach says, Anything. So your eyes say something, and then triggers something in the mind. Oh, great! You know, and then maybe you get more energized, activated. So it's always a bit of a conjuring trick. And the eyes see something, the ears see something, and you feel we can get it. You can get it. You can have that thing which appears so delightful. Yeah. Uh, just take your time. Yeah. And you can you get it? Yeah. And so, like, you know, it's a very simple thing. Like, you have a nice cake. Oh, get the cake. Can you get the pleasure? You can get the cake. There it is in your hand. Got the cake. Put in your mouth, you burst of taste, down your throat, gone. <laughs> Where'd that go? <laughs> and then I'll have another one. Because that burst, that burst, that, the mind recognizes that little burst. Hopefully, it catches that burst. You want it again. Stay with it, the burst goes bing and then fades. Yeah. Someone who likes to make fudge, likes to make fudge for the monks. Well, fudge is kind of nice, it's very good fudge. <laughs> so, you know, you give your jar this fudge, and you open the jar, and you look down, where will the fudge go? <laughs> <laughs> And I could notice just, you know, you take the farge, you know, you get, it doesn't look spectacular, it tastes, it's mouldy. 
flash of taste. And then mind reckon, and then you stay with that, that flash. When that flash hits the mind, as, as you're tasting it, you've got to have an emotion. Got to have an emotion. Just that moment, that flash, the taste, it just bursts, and then you've got another one. And then you find your hands gone down. <laughs> Before you knew it, and then the next one. Let's just kind of recognize this, this moment where it first comes into your mouth and the taste explodes, and it's got to have another one. Okay, that's just a signal. Wait five seconds, and the taste goes past that burst moment, subsides. It's gone. It's taking time to contemplate what the senses do when you get these bursts. And at the end of it, I'm in no better condition than I was before I put the butt in my mouth. <laughs> After I've been making you get sick, maybe. <laughs> it's nice, right? And it's uh, offered. So you don't care, just, you know, just you, you, you meditate on it. It's the moment. You know, with superficial attention, the superficial attention just recognizes that moment of peak pleasure, which is, I don't know, pretty short, every second, three seconds, something like that. It recognizes that moment of peak pleasure and the attention, and then, then it links up to intention. So just that it immediately connects to get another one, you know. <laughs> That's the, that, that moment of feeling triggers the, the motivation to have another one. And so it's like a mechanism. Another one. And then meanwhile, as it's going to have another one, a pleasant bit sort of fades out. Of that time, you're already on the way to getting the next one. The same thing happens. That's interesting. This has happened five times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still actually <laughs> exactly where I was before. Contemplate this cycle of bing, flash, and then immediate reaction. Just sort of slow the reaction down, get yeah, that burst, that moment up. So then you begin to understand a few things. The sugar is extremely, extremely addictive. So everything is sugar, sugar. Hits that, so that the sugar hits that pleasure button. Actually, I don't really like sugar that much. I'm not rather averse to it. Don't like it. But as a reflex, even do is for even like monkeys and apes. And they just, and we had a cat. Cat loved coffee, mate. So you, you know, we sit in the tea room and there'd be a basin on the floor, people sitting over the coffee, mate. The cat would come in and dive into the coffee man, the face was completely covered with white. You just couldn't stop. You had to drag a cat off the coffee man. 
Cassie was so, just it was the, the reflex was so sharp. Cat threw itself into the coffee mate. Wow. That's what that's what that's what we do. <laughs> Slightly more, you know, refined and dignified. <laughs> Gee, you see this kind of out of control. <laughs> what do you do about it? Well, you know, you recognize where your where your triggering points are. You're just gonna lay them in here comes one of those coffee mate or fart or something careful. You know, you have a kind of little sort of alarm signal goes off, you see something, you get that sense of attraction towards it. But up quick, get in there quick. <laughs> and then you kind of reflect on, you know, how brief this is and how repetitive, how addictive it is. And so, you know? And you see it, it's just a little thing. Thing. <laughs> it's just a thing. Yeah. And then you, you contemplate also the effect it has on on the on the mind. The mind is quite spacious, and then the sense object comes in, and the mind suddenly gets the, the velocity speeds up, so it just rushes in this burst. Screaming, the mind changes shape. It's quite open and spacious, not relaxed and ease, and suddenly it becomes momentum rushes into okay, the thing. Yeah. So, this is certainly not personal. You think you have the sails selling clothes, and then the sails. Yeah, so the shops in the clothes or the items reduce prices and people trample each other to get again. People get killed <laughs> in the rush for it. So you see it's, it's really as uh, animals get it, the same thing. Monkeys and apes get it, and we get it, and cats get it. So it's just a kind of mechanism. So, no matter it's a sight, sound, touch, taste, pretty much the same thing happens. You know, quiet, mine was quite cool or average state, and then the velocity rises up, and then you find yourself, the mind intensely focused on this object, this flash. You go through that. No, I don't want to go through this. There's nothing wrong with the object per se. Art is okay, chocolate's okay, it's okay, it's good, whatever. Can be quite helpful, nourishing. I just don't want that. Mentally, I contemplate not the object so much as what the mind does. The object is just what it is. It's this mind getting heated and driven and compulsive. Really. This is what happens in a human being. You know, you get, you come out of that. See how, how 
degrading it actually. So the Buddha said, so you know, then you cultivate better things, like generosity. It's a very much sweeter, much more comfortable direction for the mind. Feel really happy. Generosity generation can feel very happy. Much happier than sense measure. It's a long, slow quality you can linger in and you can get you can come back to it and you can remember it. And this is much better food. Right, generosity, virtue, so generosity makes you happy, virtue makes you strong. Virtue being to establish some gardening mental behavior. And extremely, it gives you dignity and strength. You're now beginning to get to be in charge of the systems about. So the Buddha recognized this and says, well then you recognize the qualities of uh, sense pleasure and the asada, which means it's uh, sweet. And the next phrase is it's hazardous. And you know the sweetness of it, also know the hazardous, it's dangerous. And then you know the escape. By recognizing the danger, you know, you know, danger is something you avoid. You really see the danger. And people can, you know, you know that the world, you know, people vast amounts of wealth, not satisfied. Vast incalculable amounts of wealth. They want more. The Buddha said the rain will turn to gold and you would still not have enough. So you're right. You know, it's been, you know, someone's selling a bottle of whiskey. I know a million pounds is a bottle of whiskey. And they don't drink it. It's too valuable to drink. You know, it's some brewed in 1860 or something. It's old whiskey, you know. But you can't drink it because it's too valuable to drink. You just keep it. They spent maybe a million on a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. I mean, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what you could do without a lot of money, which you get the generosity, what you could do with it, how happy you could be. And you see, really, you know, this is what the danger is, it sets people mad. It drives people mad. So, I don't recognize, you know, it's, it's such a powerful thing, we're all, we're, all, we're all affected by it. We all have the same disease to some extent. And, uh, so, you take, take it seriously. Uh, great things being lost if you don't restrain something beautiful is being lost. Uh, 
done. You can, you can turn it around. <coughs> Somewhere else, um, issues around sleepiness, how to practice mindfulness after wake up or sleepiness in the morning. Person who takes a lot of caffeine to avoid sleepiness and avoid distraction. So a person wants to be mindful all the time. There's a lot of time in the office. Well, you really got to kind of realize, uh, you know, mindfulness and what it is and what it isn't. Whereas it's one factor in the park, but it's not the only factor. And, uh, it doesn't have to be meditation. Meditation is a very structured and emphasized process of mindfulness, but we can also use it much more informal, fluid way. Ability to bear something in mind, notice it with dispassion, without reacting. Bear something in mind, sustain that, and with no reactivity, or if you know reaction occurs, you don't follow it. But it requires some kind of stability to be able to maintain that kind of attention. Now, stability doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit still to do that, because it's the stability of the, of the heart, really, not stability of the body. So if you're feeling really sleepy in the morning, probably not a good idea to sit still. If you don't get enough support. Um, you could, uh, for example, you could do walking or you could do chanting. Chanting is good because it's, um, you know, you can chant for quite a long while. But if you don't, if you're living in a little house, a little flat, in an apartment, you don't have much room, you don't, can't, can't run around the room. <laughs> And do some chanting. It certainly brings up energy, and you can be mindful of chanting. Chanting, making the sound, listening to the sound, that's your object. But attention, you place your attention and keep the sound so it's not strained, it's a good sound, it's quite bright, it's not strained, it's not rough, and it's got a steady measure to it. You're chanting in a steady, measured way, then your, your heart can linger on that. Quality. Keep it in mind, stay with it, and you know, so then you begin to to see the object because with that you then as you're attending to it, you're beginning to also to take in the qualities of smoothness, resonance, uh, steady, easeful rhythm. You know. The heart likes rhythm, so. Most meditation objects are rhythmic, breathing is rhythmic, walking is rhythmic. And God says that that's life, it's rhythmic. Mm-hmm. It flows. It's being sort of rather holy things. You know, you can say the heart instead of the object can be moving. The object 
to move the quantum half-mind to these things. So you know what I mean? Like surfing, steady waves moving, but you're steady. Similarly, chanting, obviously the sound is moving, but you're steady. So that, that movement does help to um, activate the more lively qualities, brighter. Chanting is good because it's um, um, well, you know, very it's a breathing exercise in some ways. The breathing has to be full and deep and steadily held. So this is very good for sending energy through the body, steady breath energy through the body. You know, so chanting has got a heart tone to it. It's bright. It's an offering. So the sound. Affects the heart. Right? Sound affects the heart. Heart is frightened. That's important too. Yeah. And then, depending on what you're chanting, there can be particular meanings you're reciting that help to brighten the heart, steady the heart. That's the way. That's pretty standard way of beginning a day. And, uh, as a double practitioner, is to chant, and um, you know some some people do mantras, so you have it going. Other times of the day, you have beads and do mantras. So the mind's got something to bear in mind that's moving, and that is the essence of mindfulness. Yeah. And, why be mindful? You've got to recognize what's the whole point of this thing. It's because it helps to prevent reckless impulses taking over. So it's both um, good food, and the mind is held steady, and something bright and comfortable, so that's sort of good food. It's also wards of poison. If you like, it's a traumatic image, but Reckless thoughts, careless actions that leave harmful results, impulsive behavior, which can leave quite a lot of damage on self knows causes regret. So there's something to be avoided and warded off from mindfulness. This is why we do it, recognizing we are aware that gender is pretty vulnerable, very porous, takes in all anything. You want to, like looking after a child, you don't let it go wandering everywhere because it's going to get hurt and maybe do damage to others. Not necessarily do that, but just through carelessness, careless behavior, careless speech, careless gestures. And you cause problems, and you regret saying that stupid thing that somebody then remembers. You know, stupid idea came up. If you're mindful of that one, then that pass. So you use it to ward off to prevent your will taking over, anger taking over. Bad speech taking over a course of regret. And they feel this is worth doing. 
So if we have that sense of using mindfulness to support um, skillful behavior, avoiding unskillful behavior, and you places like that, use it like that, and this is something you try and keep going all the day. That mindful of the mind. Mindful of the mind. The mind is no particular place. It's not like mindfulness not placing it on your abdomen, on the body, but the mind is no particular place. It lives in the world of karma. Karma. That's where it is. And that can be good or bad. And uh, you recognize it. Hold it within the realm. Good karma, at least keep it out of the world of bad karma. So that's your your mindfulness object. So, see, behavior, physical action, speech, and you can check it out uh, because if you just refrain, Notice what you're thinking. Your thoughts go before they start pouring out to action. Just wait a minute. What's that one? Where's that one going? Let's not follow that. <laughs> Where's this one going? Yeah. Right time and place to follow this. So you mindfully keep your mindfulness established on the mind or heart. <coughs> Let's say you do it every day. You say in front of a computer, as in person mentions, it's caused it's sort of more tricky because the computer doesn't care. You can swear at it, <laughs> you can call it names, who doesn't care? <laughs> and you kind of get a bit numb with it all. And so it's always good to take a break. Three other people might think if you have a screen. One minute break. So this isn't like an hour of meditation, it's taking one minute. Okay, can you do one minute? Okay, about 30 seconds. Can't take twenty seconds. <laughs> What's happening in your life? <laughs> Pause. You count. You come out with momentum. You see, life, particularly as the office, you get a certain momentum. You're running into this, you're expanding, planning this, and then your mind goes this, and then the bleed goes off. You do that, and then so just keep, keep rolling on. Now, practical doesn't mean you can stop work for an hour, it's going to take a 20 second break. Just pause, take a deep breath, come into your body, take three deep breaths in and out. Three breaths, that's all. (laughs) Do you want anything less? Three breaths, I think. Yes. 
they all go all the way out. So you can return to your duties, but just taking that coming out of the, the, the momentum where you get flowing along with no real supervision of what you're doing, lunch is tumbling from this to that to this to that. You're driven by the work project or the machine or the what's on the screen. Thank you for the questions. They're all tumbled, but right on to the point. And, um, just a couple more, I think. First, when sitting, the body kind of collapses, the shoulders hunch, the abdomen gets compressed, I feel relaxed. A significant amount of effort and energy is needed to straighten, straighten the spine, making it hard to feel relaxed, I feel tense. It's something I just need to keep doing for the body to relax over time. Basically, yeah, you want to relax is part of it, but alert is the other part of it. <laughs> yeah. So relax, yes, alert, that's the other part. So you're working on both. So you're relaxing mental volition and then making the body alert and uh, there's a certain I guess physical requirement uh, because uh, again if you're living life indeed most of us do the chairs trying to car in a chair get to the office you sit in a chair go home and sit in a chair Go around to visit somebody else, you see in their chairs. <laughs> so, what happens is you don't, the muscles in the back just kind of collapse because they don't do anything. So they're not holding you up, chair holds you up. So, lower back muscles get very weak. So, and then you can't make them strong overnight. You can't suddenly make them strong. Then you can work on it. It's going to draw your lumbar region in, straighten your spine, hold it, and keep working on it. And uh, you can even do exercise that helps to strengthen the, that position of the back to hold you up. And, uh, so that's um, just a piece of hardware, hardware issue. So I am, because I have some problems with my spine, some broken bits and pieces. Um, but um, I find it much more comfortable to sit, uh, generally to sit without a chair. Because if I sit like that, it gets the body back really starts to collapse and uh, this body things go out of joint. Discs in the spinal vertebrae come out of joint. So I just find it more comfortable to sit upright. And also, just get in the habit of standing. Then I can sit down all the time. And standing, again, you can use your legs. You use your legs, you bend your knees, you straighten your legs, and that helps to also draw the spine up. These ways and means. 
to um, just develop posture. So that the quality of you relax what needs to be relaxed, which is these unnecessary muscles in your face, in your chest, and you energize what needs to be energized, which is muscles in the lower back. So just to bring the bones into proper alignment. And after a while that the body begins to experience that sense of what it's like when you your spine is properly established. Okay, the person has a compulsive need to feel liked. So thus when I feel I'm being resented, I get triggered. Sometimes this turns into aggression. I try to force them to like me. <laughs> you don't like me. <laughs> I will beat you up. <laughs> Especially with my pets. Sometimes I feel scared of myself. It's getting bad. Dear, what can I stop do to stop hurting others? Because this deep-seated condition. Well, that's so. Um, yeah, that's. Sad. Very sad. You know, the jitter isn't healthy unless there's love in it. Well, love is something that's obviously has many different interpretations, but it's quality of natural um, warmth and feeling, um, like you were saying, you know, feeling comfortable, feeling warm warm-hearted. If it's not that way, it's just not at all comfortable. And nurturing will then seek sense pleasures to try to fill it up. Or we feel constantly uh, agitated and hungry for love, for that quality that we see from others. But, you know, you know, again, it's, it's human nature, quite normal, and generally people you do notice the quality of the world, kindness that comes from people. But the problem is if, if you have this syndrome, then you don't notice it. Or we don't notice the good world that's there. Because then what's happened is when you that is not properly established in love, in feeling love, it doesn't quite know what to look for. It knows the idea, it knows the need. We know the need, we don't know the resolution of the need. Because that's why we need it. We know we feel hungry and dark or unhappy or depressed. That's very, that's obvious. We feel that at that time we don't have access to the quality of warmth, goodwill up there. We just know we don't want this, we don't want this, but we don't really, she doesn't really know what the other quality is. Uh, so we want something to get rid of this uncomfortable feeling because we don't know it ourselves at that particular time. So, well, well, you 
need to get rid of them. The dog, get rid of it. Please, I need it. But in that state, we're not receptive. We're aggressive. It's understandable. We sympathize. But when your mind is clouded with depression and this things, you're not receptive, your mind is filled with this darkness. So, you know, we have to introduce, deliberately introduce the condition for God will, deliberately introduce it in, in their own chitta. So it can be, several things can, can bring that around. We might notice, make a point of noticing any day, any time, it was five years ago when somebody gave you something. Somebody said, Can I help you? Somebody opened something for you. Somebody said, Oh, how are you doing? What's happening for you? Oh, nice to see you. you know, and actually, in that moment, there was that movement of goodwill. It probably flew past and bring you back. Remember it. And lingering. So Chit is giving something to reference, refer to. You can also recollect you know, the, the suffering of others. It sound, sound, sound depressing, but realize you're the only one in here. Yeah, so other people. Are suffering deeply. You know, don't need much evidence for that. So when you recognize the suffering of others, isn't there something called compassion that arises? Something you wish they didn't suffer? When you see a dog whining, whining in pain, doesn't something sound like I'd like it to stop? That's compassion. So we think you're in there. You see the people, you know, war victims, people, so much of it, you don't have to look far. You see the amount of pain and misery. And, okay, oh, you know, some sense of good and heart wishing. Good will. And in, in that moment, you don't, don't actually do anything, but at least the heart opens into something more beautiful. So these are ways and means. I keep working on it, it's very important. See, because uh, you know, we can rank, we can feel, okay, we shouldn't do violence, these are bad things, we shouldn't get drunk, these are bad things, we shouldn't kill creatures that are bad. 
but this is just as bad. And uh, you know, if one's in these depressed states, this is definitely uh, food that serves as a basis for all kinds of damage, addictions, uh, resentment, aggression. So, take it seriously and meet people, talk it through, talk to people, tell how you feel, your sense of compassion will come to you. We take don't miss an opportunity to wake that up. Okay, well, oh dear. Are you okay for one or two more? Somebody's asking a lot about Nama Rupa Vijnana, which is perhaps not exactly lightweight bedtime reading. <laughs> Nama Rupa Vijnana, name and form consciousness. So, questions rotate around this theme. Rupa means a, a shape or the appearance of something generally visual, visual appearance. Nama is the description, and it's the way we, oh, that's that, that moment you, you interpret it. That's Karl, that's Lee, that's Buddha. So that's the uh, action of naming something. There's a description, and there's an appearance in the description. So this is, these are the actions of consciousness does this. So when consciousness takes an object, the object is called Rupa. And then consciousness then activates perceptions, which is the interpretation. That's, that's making it quite simple. Actually, it activates attention, first of all, and then interpretation, perception, feeling. And so forth. So, this is Nama Vijnana. That's the, that's the um, setup, basic setup of consciousness. And that's dependent upon Sankara, which means there are certain motivations to see, to touch, to think, to figure out where we are in the sense realm. Right? The Sankaras. Activations, formative tendencies, and when they're included, caught by ignorance or not knowing, not fully understanding, that motivations try to place me in the sense world. Where am I in the sense world? The sense world is the real thing. How am I going to work with this? Where am I? So it says, Here you are, you're seeing something, it's out there, you're in here, it's out there, it looks like this, reminds you of that, now you know who you are. Young, you know? And of course, it's a conjuring trick <laughs> because that, that happens, but who's there? Is that who you are? Where's that? Is it in your head? Where is it? Where, where's, where's the seer? Where, where is she? <laughs> where are you? So when you see something, as a particular presentation of the world, and you close your eyes, you hear something that's different. 
you can plug your ears up and smell things as a different world altogether. Right? So, so, if I close my eyes, what happens in the room? It remains as a memory. I close my eyes, right now there's no room, there's no people. So how real is that? Yeah. I say now I'm in Bethany Jaya. It's me in Bethany Jaya. Walk out the door, get in a taxi, then I'll be in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> what happened? Different set of sights and sounds arose. I'm still in the same place. I'm still here with things happening. And I'm trying to find out who's here. I didn't see her. No, because when I close my eyes, I'm still here. Is it the hearer? No. The smeller, the taster, the thinker. What happens if these sense consciousness stop? Where am I? Nothing. So let's see, this is a setup, basic setup, that uh, this Avijya, which is trying to place self within the sense world, not recognizing that by doing so, the citta, which has been confused, is beset with sights and sounds and touches that run around with no satisfaction. Sights and sounds and touches that run around without being able to be held, without feeling comfortable, fleeting pleasures, pain. That's where you are. <laughs> so the placing of one's some self into the sense realm means you place yourself in quite a hazardous area. Something's getting placed in a hazardous area. So the aim in Dharma practice is to not do that. <laughs> so essentially, the jitta is not ignorant. There's no ignorance. The motivation is to live in integrity, live in loving kindness, much better place. Yeah. Live in uh, calm, much better place. Same. They don't need to create an identity out of it because those qualities sustain themselves. With consciousness, it's a separative thing. The moment of consciousness, contact happens, sight, seeing, and a seer, three things happen. It's the object, the seeing object, the experience of seeing. And the experience of being a seer, they're all split. They're all conjoined, they're, they're separate. So then, I was always trying to get that which I see or taste or touch or think. So you unite with it, but I can't, because the setup is one of separation. Yeah. So it generates the sense of a separate self who's still linked to the senses. They're linked to that 
which makes them feel separate. They're committed to separation. Right? You see something that's out there. You can't get it. You taste something that's gone. There you go. Have another one. That's gone too. So, with, you see what I mean? We get linked to the experience of change and separation. And we're constantly trying to find something that's stable, and it's not there. You know, the aim is, well, you can do that, but all of us can do something else. You don't have to be a saint. Just to make it dwell, mind of goodwill, heart of goodwill. You know, somebody there, doesn't matter. Nobody's there, doesn't matter. You know, who's doing it, doesn't matter. Because the quality of goodwill is a hard experience that sustains itself. The dwelling in that. And then this ideas of who am I? Am I doing good enough? Just, that's not goodwill, drop it. That's agitation. We just purify these hard qualities. And that's kind of pragmatic. Yeah. Okay, another way you see the description, the Nama Rupa, Vinyana, the naming of something is always not true. So that's the piece particularly you begin to understand. The description of something is not the same as the thing. Okay. So I love the bit fudge. It's a dark brown cube. Dark brown cube. That's not fudge, that's a dark brown cube. Put it in my mouth, oh it becomes fudge. <laughs> and it's gone. What was it? Was it a dark brown cube? Was it taste? Is the taste is the taste the thing? Or taste just the mood, isn't it? So the description it's like you go to the restaurants and you see these things like noodles or you know, rice, fish, whatever, and you eat the menu. I ate that, I ate those noodles, so I got that, that menu with noodles on it, and I ate the menu, so I ate the noodles. I'm crazy. <laughs> but most of us are doing that all the time. <laughs> Eating menus. <laughs> so we see someone and think what we see is what they are. Have you ever done that? You see something, you think what you see is what they are. And that does not work on it, does it? You get some name, but actually what's happening there is a shifting realm of moods and feelings and intentions. And that's, that's the reality. It's shifting and changing. So you may start to see just the descriptions blind the mind to actually receiving the living reality. What's happening? As you begin to see this, you don't believe descriptions. They're okay. Just 
as navigation, but you don't take them as reality. This helps you to break the um, passion for forms, tastes, touches, just you get infatuated with something that is just a temporary appearance of no real substance, no real quality value. So it becomes dispassionate. And it's dispassionate consciousness does not take delight in names and appearances. It's not just get established. Jinta doesn't establish consciousness in that realm. This is our project. It sounds kind of perhaps a little bit difficult to grasp. Okay. But um, let's take a little bit of something, check it out. You know. Who are you? Are you your physical appearance? Do you have no physical appearance? Uh, physical appearance, is that who you are? Well, no. Okay. So what are you? Are you a name? No. Do you have no name? I have a name, but it's not who you are. Okay. Are you the mood in your mind? No. It's happening now, but it'll probably be gone. But you're not the mood in your mind. What are you then? So, you know, keep doing it until the names disappear, descriptions disappear. Then we're in touch with Vijaya, clarity, rather than Vijaya. Okay, so let's um, make use of any of those questions and thank you for asking them. Hope I responded in a way that's helpful. Questions are really valuable because what you ask, probably something else is experiencing, and uh, you had the, you know, the courage, whatever, to, to ask it.